The reading this morning can be found on page 100, which is Leviticus 4, reading from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, all the fat that is connected to the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrificed as a fellowship offering. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the hide of the bull and all its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the internal organs and the intestines, that is, all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean, where the ashes are thrown and burn it there in a wood fire on the ash heap. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realise their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. He shall dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle it before the Lord seven times in front of the curtain. He is to put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from it and burn it on the altar and do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. When a leader sins unintentionally, and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord his God, when he realises his guilt and the sin he has committed becomes known, he must bring it as his offering, a male goat without defect. He is to lay his hand on the goat's head and slaughter it at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall burn all the fat on the altar, as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. 
In this way, the priest will make atonement for the leader's sin and he will be forgiven. Uh, Please keep um, your Bibles open to that cheery pre-Christmas reading. That'd be great. (laughs) Uh, My name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers here. Um, Just before we get into that, um, just to clarify, for the Harbour Baptism Service, it's going to be down this way on the beach uh, in the harbour towards where the aquarium used to be. And we'd love to have you there to support those who are getting baptised. I'm going to pray for us very briefly and we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus, your son is great. Help us to appreciate his greatness a little more. Right now we pray. Amen. I want to start with a confession. Uh, My confession is that sometimes I do not feel good enough for God. Now I don't mean that in the proper sense of humbly recognising that God is the sovereign, glorious ruler of everything. I mean in the sense that even knowing Jesus as my saviour, my sins as forgiven, my debt as paid, I am not still really sure that I'm acceptable to God. I'm not certain that he can really love me. I sense that I remain unworthy, even though it's never been about my personal worthiness, that my sin is too great, and at the end of the day, I cannot have anything to do with him because he really... He just can't want to have anything to do with me. Now, I'm sure that is a trick of the devil, and I'm equally sure that I am not alone, and that uh, many of you feel the same way as I do. Perhaps you do something that that you recognise as bad, you know, the way you've spoken about others, or the way you've spoken to others, the way you've treated others, even the way you've thought about others. Uh, perhaps there is addictive behaviour in your life or just plain greed. Maybe it's something altogether different for you. Uh, maybe it's not even kind of personal and private wrong, but you, you realise you're part of a system that structurally does wrong. Or maybe it's the good that is in within, within your power to do that you have neglected to do. You know, the, the justice or the mercy or the generosity that you have withheld from others. But whatever, it has the same result in your life. Despite the death of Jesus in our place, we sense that we, are, we remain unforgiven and unclean. And look, I, I wouldn't be surprised if every person, every Christian person at least, in this room feels that way right now, or has done quite recently, or will do quite soon. What if I asked that question in a slightly different way? Would you describe yourself as a saint or a sinner? If you had to choose one. Because that answer is telling, isn't it? Or let me ask it in a different way. Have you ever felt like your worship is faint and hollow? What do you reckon that is? And what do you think we can do about it? Because we're actually going to look at this precise issue as we cover our next instalment in the greater series today. When we think about what it means for Jesus to be our greater priest In the lead up to Christmas, uh, when we really do focus on the arrival of God into human time and space via the historical birth of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we here at St. Matthews are investigating the various ways in which he is greater. And we mean something quite precise by that title, greater, which, which is really how is Jesus greater than Old Testament types or molds Um, He he doesn't just arrive on the pages of our New Testament like the lone hero in the Spaghetti Western, solitary, unannounced, apart from the tumbleweed blowing down the main street of town. He enters the fray with a rich 
set of expectations and imprints to embody, really uh, shoes to fill, I suppose. How can he, for example, be the greater prophet? How is he a greater judge? In what way is he a greater king? What does it look like for him to be a greater human? And today, how can he be a greater priest? And really, why is that such good news for us whenever we have felt not good enough for God or sense that we remain unforgiven or unclean? Some of us uh, here this morning uh, will have come to St. Matthew's from a Catholic background, maybe even a Buddhist background. And of course, uh, you're very welcome. Hope you feel that. Uh, but that might mean you have a quite a firm concept of what it means to be a priest those of us who don't have that sort of background we we probably have a more vague kind of shady understanding of that concept after all we don't call our church leaders priests we've got a blurry sort of vibe that in the new testament era all christians are supposed to be priests in some ways and so i'm only guessing at this point and and you got to trust me i mean this in good faith and uh, really good fun and not at all harshly but I I suspect the Vatican has cottoned on to the fact that some folks think of their Catholic priests as slightly aloof and odd figures. Now I only, I've got very little evidence to go on here other than the fact that in recent years they have released a Roman priest calendar, sort of like a fireman's calendar, you know those sort of calendars? Uh, And um, I tracked down some photos, so uh, here is the front cover of the Roman priest calendar. He's, he's a good-looking rooster, hey? Um, this is Mr. July. And to me, he looks like kind of your boy next door who'd be a really good listener, don't you reckon? Uh, this is the dark and smouldering Mr. October. All right. There's no way I'd ever make it on one of those calendars, is there? <laughs> now, making priest calendars, uh, that might improve the image of uh, Catholic priests, for example, but... Man, it's going to take considerably more effort to make up for the deficiencies of the Old Testament priests that we just read about. I mean, they had far more serious issues than mere image problems. And before we get to their deficiencies, we need to tune in carefully to Leviticus 4, which we just read, to to understand their role in dealing with human sin. So look with me, verse 2, when anyone sins, that's what we're talking about. Verse 13, when the whole community sins. Verse 22, when a leader sins. Verse 27, when any member of the Old Testament community sins. Well, really, when they become aware of their sin, they would bring a perfect animal to the priest in order to be sacrificed. Might have been a bull, might have been a lamb, might have been a goat, could have even been a pigeon, actually. Basically, whatever the person could afford. Had to be a young animal without blemish or defect. It had to be perfect, in other words, which meant that it was costly to the person bringing it. And then the people who had sinned, individuals, leaders, whatever, uh, they, would, uh, they would lay their, their hands on the head of the animal, symbolically transferring their sin and guilt on this animal to be sacrificed. And then the elder or the priest would get a knife. Oh, I should have said this is probably M.A., uh, rating. We get a knife and slit its throat. And, um, you know, we're not from the country, most of us, so we've got to imagine what it would be like. Um, but you imagine it, you know, like you realize you've sinned, and so you take one of your prized animals, very costly to yourself, to the priest. Uh, you can imagine looking 
into its eyes and it had love for you if it was that kind of animal because you'd cared for it, it knew you. You'd slit its throat and blood would spurt out. That's what happens. The animal would writhe in agony at your feet, struggling in excruciating pain. You would hear blood gurgling until it bent out of its normal shape in one final spasm of pain. I mean, that's just what happens. I've been gratuitous. It's appalling, isn't it? Especially for those of us not from the country. Uh, It's messy. And I take it that showed the people how appalling their sin was before a holy God. And it would have impressed upon them, I think, in the most vivid way that sin results in cost, in grief, and that atonement or payment for sin requires not only an innocent one in the sinner's place, but also the shedding of blood. And of course, the priest was intimately involved in the whole process. After the animal uh, had been slaughtered, the priest would would step in and take some of the blood from the slaughtered animal and and sprinkle it in the most holy place, that is the presence of God in the temple or the tent of meeting. And they'd put some of the blood on the altar and they would pour the rest at the base of the altar. And after burning up the body of the animal, the priest would make atonement for the guilty person. That is, the, the price of their sin would be paid for by the death of this perfect animal. And the priest would pronounce them as clean and forgiven. Now, friends, it's really very important that you look with me at Leviticus 4 now, uh, where it says repeatedly, have a look, verse 20, verse 26, verse 31. I want you to look in your Bibles, folks. Verse 35, in this way, the priest will make atonement for their sin, and they will be forgiven. He'll make atonement for their sin, and they will be forgiven. Okay, so you understand the, the very involved process that took. It might sound odd to our ears. Uh, it might be quite a bit messier than we'd like. You can see how the priest was intimately connected to that whole process. But I, question, uh, I guess the question for us this morning is, like, what was deficient in the priests themselves? Uh, these people who were so involved in bringing atonement forgiveness for the, for the people. Well, to start with, they were sinners. Now, that is going to be a problem, isn't it? If their job was to try and help you deal with their sin, it's going to be a problem if they were sinful. And they were, and they knew it. There was nothing they could do about it. Uh, If you listened, or actually looked carefully as we read out Leviticus 4, you would have realized, even as early as verse 3, before the priests could make atonement for the sins of the people, they had to offer a young bull to make atonement for their own sins. You've heard the expression, the blind leading the blind. I mean, this is the hopeless leading the hopeless. The sinners leading the sinful, and really that is a problem. And that problem just builds and builds throughout the rest of the book of Leviticus, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, even into the Gospels, where we find the priests are amongst Jesus' most stubborn enemies, obsessed with maintaining their positions of power over people. Priests kept sinning. Next problem is that the priests kept dying. Now, that, that's a major interruption to their service, isn't it, if that keeps happening? You know, when, uh, when we studied Leviticus a few years ago, we discovered that with their special, ornate, priestly garments, I mean, they really looked the part. But in Leviticus chapter 10, the first, uh, two of the first five ordained priests didn't even make it through their first day of service because of the reckless attitude they brought to their task. 
And even if the others conducted themselves well and served longer, they still died. So that task of being a mediator, of being a go-between, someone who stood in the breach between God and mankind was interrupted by their own mortality. So that's a problem too, isn't it? They kept sinning and they kept dying. When uh, one of my offspring was in kindergarten, I uh, foolishly, stupidly, I can't believe I did it, took on coaching duties for the uh, St Ives under 6C soccer team. Don't ask me what the C stood for. It certainly wasn't champions. Not a successful year for two main reasons. Number one, coach had no idea. Number two, team had no idea. They all knew each other from school, you see. So when they got on the soccer pitch, they thought it was time for a bit of a tea party. They'd all hang around in a tight little clump uh, and watch the other team slot goals into the net over and over again. And uh, when they got tired of standing around and talking, uh, they would decide to wrestle. I would be okay with that if they wrestled the opposition, but they were wrestling each other. And in occasional moments of uh, you know, singular focus, they might actually kick the ball once or twice it wasn't directly into our net and they would look up smugly at me as if to say, well, my work here really is done. Nothing could have been further from the truth. <laughs> Their work was not done and mine would never be done. <laughs> the under six C's. And really that's uh, quite similar to the problem with the Old Testament priests, the next problem, and that is that their work was never done, uh, which is another way of saying that they, they had to keep offering sacrifices Leviticus tells the priests that they need to make atonement for the sins of the people whenever they sin. Whenever they realised they had sinned, they had, to take, they had to offer sacrifices. And then once a year, the Day of Atonement, the priests would make atonement for all the sins of the people who didn't even realise that they had committed, but had done so. Now think about this. What does offering sacrifices again and again and again say to you? Number one, it's expensive <laughs> to be in this place. Number two, you'd have to agree that it communicates that this forgiveness was not very long-lasting. And so for those reasons, priests kept sinning, priests kept dying, and they had to keep offering sacrifices. We can confidently say something was wrong with this system. And the Old Testament itself recognised that a new system was needed, one in which the priests didn't sin, one in which the priests wouldn't die, and so the stage was set for the coming of a new and better priesthood and really the coming of a new and greater priest. And of course, we understand that person to be Jesus, the greater priest. You know, we look at the Old Testament priests and we see problems and we see that Jesus just has to be the greater priest. Well, how is that? Hebrews 7, uh, chapter 7 is the place to go. That's on page 1209 and I'd love you to actually open that. 1209, Hebrews chapter 7. Those of you not flicking, we're going to have a stare off right now. I'm going to win. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 7, that's page 1209. It's a delightful sound. Not the Harley Davidson, the sound of pages being turned. Hebrews 7. It's the place to go to see why Jesus is the greater priest than the Old Testament priests. And again, there's three reasons. The first is an interesting one. It's that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. 
He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now that sounds just a bit weird, doesn't it? But, but all you need to know is that Melchizedek is this kind of priest king who appears at the very start of our Bibles, out of nowhere, in Genesis chapter 15. And, and he serves Abraham and then he disappears again. We know nothing about Melchizedek's father. In other words, his start. We hear nothing about Melchizedek's death. In other words, his end. He, he appeared well before the Levitical priests that we read about earlier and we've been thinking about. So he just seems to have this kind of ethereal, eternal quality about him. And for that reason, the Old Testament says uh, that Melchizedek was a priest forever. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, picks up on that idea and says, you know what? That is the kind of priest that Jesus is. Not like the Levitical priests, but a priest like Melchizedek, one who does not die. He never dies. In fact, because of his resurrection, Jesus has an indestructible life and lives forever. Let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests, the Levites that Susan read to us about, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Did you get that? On account of his resurrection, Jesus lives forever, which means he is not like those Old Testament priests whose priestly service was interrupted because they kept dying. He is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is a permanent priest and that means he can save those who come to him permanently. Because of his resurrection, his priestly service is uninterrupted. Second reason Jesus is a greater priest is in fact because he is a perfect priest morally. Look at verse 26, Hebrews 7 verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Unlike the Old Testament priests who kept sinning and therefore had to keep offering sacrifices for themselves before they could even think about serving the people, Jesus is greater. Look at verse 26 again. Holy, blameless, pure, set apart, untouched by personal sin and exalted above the heavens. How about that for a description of the baby Jesus? As a greater priest, he had no need to offer sacrifices on his own behalf before serving the people because he did not sin. But my goodness, if, if that was great, verse 27, well, that adds something quite incredible. Read it with me, verse 27. He sacrificed for their sins, I mean, look, our sins. He sacrificed for our sins once for all when he offered himself. He is not only the perfect priest morally, he offers the perfect sacrifice of himself in the sense of it doing the job that sacrifices were always meant to do. He was without defect. It was bloody. And it was so costly. But not only did he not have to offer sacrifices on his own behalf because he did not sin himself, when he offered himself, 
It was a once-for-all sacrifice. Didn't need to keep doing it again and again, neither for himself nor for us. But he sacrificed for our sins, covering for them completely, perfectly and eternally when he died upon that Roman cross as a matter of history. To raise your hands if you've ever bought a new phone or computer. Some of you had never bought a new phone or a computer. You know, Christmas is coming. It could be your year. Hey, you know that, um, you know that feeling when you um, take it out of the box and you peel off that plastic stuff? Do you know that feeling? You don't know that feeling? You, <laughs> you know, the little plastic stuff, it's so satisfying. It's like peeling the thing off the top of the margarine tub. I love doing that. And, uh, and you peel it off and you smell it. And everything's so pristine, right? I mean, me and one other person know that feeling. It's great. And it really is the equivalent of the new car smell. And this is how you're meant to feel. Yeah, new phone feeling, right? And you think to yourself in that moment, I will never have to buy another phone or computer ever again. That's what you think. So stupid because it's untrue, isn't it? You know it's only going to be a matter of a few years at most, but that's not even the thing, you know, like almost immediately you've got to start maintaining them. You know, you've got to install new software updates. You've got to install new security updates, new um, antivirus updates, and you've got to remove files and photos to create more space. And it's like even when it's new, the work is never done. But with this new sacrifice of Jesus, friends, the work is done. It's finished. Isn't that precisely what once for all means in verse 27? The work is done. He does not need, he never has needed, he never will need to offer sacrifices day after day for the sins of the people because he sacrificed for sins once for all when he offered himself. He is the once-for-all sacrifice for all those who would come to him. This big block behind me you can see is not an altar on which he needs to be sacrificed again and again. It's a table that's meant to symbolize the the fellowship that we celebrate because of all that his once-for-all sacrifice brings us. In like three minutes' time, we're going to sing, O Come to the Altar. You know what we're seeing when we sing, O come to the altar? We're saying, come to the cross. Because that is the only place upon which Jesus has been sacrificed. It is in the past tense. And it does not need to happen again. He's a greater priest. He doesn't sin. He doesn't die. He doesn't offer ongoing sacrifices for sin. Because he doesn't need to. Now, I'm probably wondering what all this means for us. And uh, to work it out, I want to invite you to come back with me to where I was at the very beginning with that question, or really that confession I made at the beginning, where I confessed that sometimes I don't feel good enough for God, where I, I, I sense that what I have done or thought or said, whatever it might be, really has put me off bounds from God, uh, feeling, sensing, unclean and unforgiven. And where I suggested that, that you're probably in the same boat as me, 
from time to time at least, where we would think of ourselves as not saints, never, and definitely and definitively sinners. You know, friends, if we're Christian, we actually need to invade that hostile idea with the historical fact that Jesus is the greater priest who serves us by being the the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. Can I say gently, but you know, it's the season for it. If, If you're not a Christian here this morning, Jesus' death makes an assumption that you need saving from your sins. He assumes that your sins will be punished by a destruction that is everlasting. He considers that fate real enough and serious enough to surrender his own earthly life in order to save you from it he assumes that his death is for you and that you need it just like I need it. And so may I suggest to you as humbly as I can that you consider carefully what you are going to do about that and with that. In fact, I would urge you to turn to him in faith and repentance rather than ignoring him. Don't you think that would actually be the most fitting and appropriate thing to do in the lead up to Christmas, to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith? I do. Now, many of us here have already turned to him, I guess most of us really, in repentance and faith. And then I I, I wish to impress upon us as clearly and as deeply as possible that he has made us clean. To use the technical term that we read there, he has made atonement for our sins. They're paid for, they're covered over. In layman's terms, it means that we are completely forgiven, forgiven forever, It means that we are saints, not sinners, not even forgiven sinners. You know, the New Testament doesn't describe us as sinners, not even as forgiven sinners, but as saints, as God's holy people. Isn't that quite a remarkable thing? I bet you don't think of yourself that way. It means that we are worthy to come before God, not because we are good, but because Jesus, our greater priest, and our perfect sacrifice is good. He's a priest forever, which means he serves us and saves those of us who come to God through him permanently. Now this, it doesn't mean you can sin freely, right? In fact, it ought to change our hearts and warm them. So instead of wanting to sin, we instead want to pursue godliness and holiness. That's actually the the, the movement of our heart. And of course, not to be loved by God, but because we already are so loved by God on account of all that our greater priest has done. And when that happens, obedience becomes pleasant and not a burden. And friends, if obedience isn't pleasant but you feel is burdensome, then there might be something wrong with your heart. When that happens, you, you return to worship being joyful because you know you're clean and you sense that. And when you feel blighted because you do that bad thing again, whatever it is in your life, you're forgiven. And when the devil whispers in your ear, a real Christian wouldn't say those things. And you think to yourself, he's right, he's wrong. Because you know that you are clean. Because Jesus is a greater priest. Because he does not sin. And he does not die. And his is the perfect sacrifice. So that once and for all, you are forgiven. Once and for all, you are clean. Forever and ever, you are acceptable to God. 
Let's pray to give thanks to him now. Heavenly Father, we um, read about these old-time Levitical priests and uh, even once we get over the mess and the blood, we just see that there's something wrong with them. And of course, we see that Jesus is a greater priest for all those reasons we've discussed. I want you to put in our hearts the very deep knowledge that we are clean, forgiven and acceptable to you because of what our greater priest has done for us. And I pray that would move us to joyful obedience and even more joyful worship because we do love him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.